When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can find and subscribe to the premium episodes of this podcast at pitch.supportingcast.fm. Welcome to Pitch, a podcast bringing storytellers and stories to the world. This week's premium episode features Austin Kimmel's fantasy comedy pilot, Dunce Macabre. Make sure to check that out. This week, we're going to finish off our chat with Stephen Horniak, who is an actor, producer, and an audience testing specialist. We're going to continue right where we left off last week with me asking if the process ever doesn't work. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, check it out. You'll get to hear the first part of our chat with Stephen. Here we go. Were there any surprises? Have you ever seen, have you ever tested a movie and either the filmmaker doesn't fix the parts that the audience is saying should be fixed? And then it comes out and then you're like, well, well, that audience was wrong. This movie is great or beloved. Or you've seen something that like the audience is like, fix it. The filmmaker did it. And then it and then it didn't work. Have there any been, been any surprises, basically? I mean, in terms of the opposite of what? What you tested for. Yeah. You right, test for so, something and then the opposite happens. Yeah. I mean, no. The answer, I mean, the, oh, the wow. short answer is no. And and the thing is that, you know, one thing we always say is we, we have never seen a movie get worse with audience input. Wow. It always gets better. Right? Yeah. Which is simultaneously surprising and the most obvious thing ever. Right. Because you're making a movie for an audience. Yeah. Okay. And actually, you know, you brought up poetry before, which is very interesting mm-hmm. to me. Because part of what you said is poetry and who's your audience, right? Now, I would think as a poet, you'd go, this is self-expression, man. I don't give a fuck about the audience, right? Mm-hmm. This is self-expression. And I think a lot of filmmakers think that. This is my expression, my artistic expression. Yeah. And um, who are you to tell me mm-hmm. uh, what works and what doesn't? You know? So You have to start saying to them, even poets think about their audience. Yeah, because yeah. they do. do. It's, yeah. it's a good, that's a good, you know. Yeah, because, uh, because poetry is supposed to be about this internal emotional landscape. Well, who is that landscape for? Yeah. Are you just going to keep your poems in a drawer forever? Or like, do you want people to read it? Because the goal is like, you want people to read it, so identify with it. Yeah, you can have like mind poems that you don't write down that are for your internal self-expression landscape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, it, it, but it walks an interesting line between, you know, art uh-huh. and self-expression and the consumption of said things. Like, does art exist for an audience? How much of what we're doing is commerce that can still contain aspects of artistry? You know, it's like... Well, this... What this advocates for is when you have your script written, you need to have it reviewed by your peers. You need to send it out into the world to multiple different readers and get input. The way that I sometimes do my script notes is I send it to different people and if they all have the same note, I'm like, well, then there's something there, obviously. I just think they're all wrong. And Angel's ego buoys <laughs> him above all of that. You're no, those, no, I don't. You're I don't one think of those that. guys. Huh? That's, that's a foolish, foolish thought. But that's why yeah. things like the Fun Lab that Matt and Natalie oh, yeah. talked about Vanishing from Vanishing Angle, Angle yeah. if you don't know about it, it's um, screenwriters and filmmakers get together and they review each other's work uh, live. Right. 
Yeah, which it, is it's kind of like script testing, but they're, they're the, kind of. the writers in the room, so it's yeah. direct feedback. Yeah. yeah, but let's talk about different art forms too, because my wife's a painter, and mm-hmm. she has been pretty successful in Vancouver. She has a, had a gallery in Vancouver for a while, and um, the gallery owner never said to her, "Do this, this, or this." Right? She did the work; it was her expression. Went up, and they sold. Now, one thing she said to her to my wife was, "The blue ones." seem to sell better than the green or blue ones. Wait, the blue ones sell better than the green than, than or... the green or blue ones. She had like three color palettes in these. Got and it. I'm kind of making this up because I don't remember what the colors yeah, yeah. were. But she said, the things she did say, the blue ones seem to sell better than the other than the other colors. And so what did you And so Colleen said, well, I'll just paint more blue ones, right? But she was still, she was in, she was in the realm of being the, of the blue ones, but mm-hmm. she was doing her own thing. Yeah. So there was a little kind of audience testing there, but... You know, and then the other thing about this other art form in painting, uh, a well-known, very well-known filmmaker said to my uh, boss a couple of years ago, why are we, do- and this is a guy who's made a lot of movies, why are we doing this? Why do we have to, He's Picasso never had to have people come and comment on his work. And, and my boss said, yeah, but the, the, the paint and the canvas and the brushes cost about $3 or $1.50 back then. Yeah. So. Your medium costs millions, buddy. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you're if you want to be that guy who paints paintings and wants to do it for yourself, do it. Sure. Or gal. I think I think you hit on something with your audience testing that our listeners should also pay attention to when they are sending out their scripts to peers, which is make sure it's the right audience. Because if I'm sending a horror script to you Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm You're not going to have yeah, the same no. reaction that I want from Katrina or Mercedes who live and breathe that. Yep. Yeah. You, you really have to know your audience or anticipate your audience, right? Define your audience, mm-hmm. right? Before you test, I know this is going to be a thriller, so I shouldn't send it to people who are doing like Hallmark stuff. Yeah. Right. Unless it's like a, a Hallmark-esque thriller story. And it's something that Promising Young Woman, they had difficulties. Um, I can't remember her name. Jewel had difficulties taking out to producers who were male producers, and they all had the opposite of re- reaction that she wanted them to have. One of them was like, oh, so it's a revenge story. She's like, not really. And another one was like, oh, it's about a woman going psychotic. She's like, definitely not that. Yeah. So their expectations were so far from what the story she was telling was that there was there was no bridge yes. to that gap. Yes. Which is kind of like a, an early testing situation when you're pitching to people and their expectations or where their minds immediately go aren't in line with what you're telling. You're like, okay, I need to need to find better more resonant people for this mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. or i need to adjust my pitch or my that's, story that's why if listeners are listening to this and they want to do their work and find your email address they know not to pitch him a certain budget because if they're going to pitch that budget you're just going to not respond to them that's correct yeah now i did respond to that guy because i Lucky he had guy. the tenacity right yeah um which i really admire because to tell you the truth i don't really have it I mean, I do. I've been in this business for a long time. Mm-hmm. But there are certain people that just are unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just not that guy. I tend to be a little bit more reserved. And, you know, I suss things out in a way. And I'm just, I'm not busting doors down usually. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and that's that's rewarded in, in certain instances. Yes. In yes. Yeah. It's very it celebrated is. and rewarded. Like, oh, right. that's a go-getter. Oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I am not like that either. And when I encounter that. I'm like that for you. You are. You are very much a, a, a door knock downer. Yeah. But I, my my. You are. But you know what? She she does it with a lot of savvy and charm. She does. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yes, that's true. 
Yeah. But but the trick for me is if you're going to knock down doors, if you're going to be tenacious, you got to bring it. You right? do. You can't yeah. like if that guy, if you'd said, hey, well, I, you know, this thing you sent me isn't for me. What else you got? And he didn't send you anything. And mm-hmm. then what, what was the point of his tenacity? Like, right. Well, he, he, said- he didn't get anywhere with you. He sent 10, which I think was so smart. He's like, okay, well, that's I'm the doing bringing the, one, the one-liners yeah. of 10 different ideas. And by He's the way, like one. Like, that's, that's, I, the, that's the bringing I, From it what one, he you know? said in that email, I think he was working those up for me. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have them already done. Yeah. yeah. So a couple of days later, he sends these 10 premises, 10 two-line premises. And, you know, many of them were okay, but one, one stood out yeah. to me. I mean, he, he, so he got his foot in the door and he's smart enough to be like, all right, this is what this guy's wanting. Let me work up 10. Mm-hmm. Right. If I come up with three, he might not like three of them. But if I come up with 10, one of them's going to pop. And yeah. that's what I mean by yeah. bringing it. He's like, he, like his insistence on finding your email and getting stuff to you was rewarding to you because this guy was smart enough and, and had enough uh, experience to come up with 10 more ideas. Yes. On the fly. Yeah. This is like... The other interesting thing too about that is if you, if you have a, a, a premise, you've got it. You love your premise, you've written the script, you're looking to sell it, and you're approaching somebody. It's like, it's not a bad thing to put that premise, that two-line or three-line premise, in a grouping of five or ten premises Mm -hmm. and see if it stands out. You can just craft slightly weaker ones. <laughs> you could. Premises. You could, certainly. <laughs> to ensure that it stood out, you Steve. Could. <laughs> but if you're honest with yourself, you try to do it as yeah, much as well as with, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, this goes to something I've been thinking a lot about lately is uh, you hear, like, storied screenwriters, television writers are like, you need to be writing. You need to be writing. You need yeah. to be writing. And it's like, for someone who doesn't understand why you need to turn out a volume of work, well, one, you should be prolific. You know, most of the fine artists we know, they were pretty prolific painters, sculptors. And it wasn't just that they were turning out numerous works. It's that they were working on things. So if you have like one script and you want to work it to perfection, great. But then you got to start on the next one and then work it to perfection, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You don't have to turn out 78 terrible first drafts. But the practice of doing the thing is the thing. That yes. is the reward. The reward is not selling your script and getting a million dollars and having your movie made. Right. The reward is sitting down, opening up your pages, and working on them every day. And that's why writers say, you got to work, you got to work, you got to keep writing. You should be writing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I never like writing real. I never like having to write. I always like having written. But I read that's, your script yeah. and it was really good. But, but okay, but like, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm a bad writer. I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying I don't I don't like. Um, which did you read? Which script? Oh, remember we traded scripts. I sent yeah. you my Italian one, and you sent me the. This is where Leah I'd, forgets I'd, the script. I'd the gal, to, the lioness, the I'd, gal, I'd the, the to, military gal who yeah. gets involved in the, yeah yeah yeah. Um, anyway, so well that's well that's an interesting phenomenon like ha- liking ha- have liking have written being how do how do you say that? Blah blah blah. blah I blah, like blah. having written. Yes, but the process is brutal. That's an interesting be. phenomenon. It can be. Because I know a lot of working writers are like, oh, yeah, it's brutal. It's a, it's a grind. So, you know, do you, what about writer's block for you guys? I mean, I don't really believe in writer's block. No. And um, what was his name? Uh, Robert McKee says this thing is if you're blocked, do more research. Yeah. My yeah. mentor, Bill Mushi, says there's no such thing as writer's block. It's, indolent, it's indolence and lack of organization. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that man just, he wrote 
Yeah, but yeah. he also again wrote with two fingers on a typewriter, so he had the mental like he had the speed of like putting things down, where he could come up with ideas as he typed out the word the over the course of seven come seconds. Knock down your door. He's gonna come up from Florida. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what writer's block is because I don't understand like having a page that needs to be filled without having like blueprinted and researched mm-hmm. and iterated and and come up with like all the various possibilities for what the story is gonna be. Like for me, writer's block doesn't exist because I'm like either formulating what the story is going to be, right. doing research, checking in with all the tenets of storytelling to make sure they're robust and yep. like clear for me as a writer. And then once I like sit down to get into like scripted pages, I've already written 60, 70 pages sometimes right. for a feature script. Okay. Whether that's a detailed outline or like notes, research, you know, yeah. I've already written. Just spitballing. Just, just, just putting spitball. it on down. Yeah. Yeah. From day one, <clears throat> like I start, you know, a document and I go from, you know, it, it's averaging about 50 pages. Okay. I start a notes document, an idea document. And at about 50 pages, I've done all my work. And that includes like scene to scene outline of what's going to happen in the movie. So then where would I get blocked? Because I have right. it all roadmapped. We're just making our audience feel so bad. Please know that if you have writer's block, it's it's a real thing. There's a reason but for we're it. Giving you ways to address it. Yes. Right. Be organized. Also, do some the, research. Uh, I'm sit down. Little, yeah. In development, uh, I'm a little different than a lot of development people because mm-hmm. people will say, "Okay, um, we like this idea. Let's say it's this guy that gave me this idea. This guy I told you about, the British guy. Um, okay, so give me the story beats and you know." And I write a 10-page treatment to give them the story beats, you know. And now, a lot of people I've worked with, they say, they'll say, how come this treatment is like this and the script is something completely different? And I'll say, because that's the alchemy of writing. And they're like, what? Yeah, it's a process, There's, a, there's an yeah. alchemy to, if when you sit down and start typing, especially for me with dialogue, yeah. mm-hmm. like the characters tell me what the story's about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have an initial idea, but I don't have a direction, let's say, a more, like a moral, moral direction or a thematic direction, mm-hmm. but I have a, a kernel of an idea. Mm-hmm. And then you have to write it. And, you know, McKee says this thing about you have, you, at, once you finish the first draft of a screenplay, you read it, and the, story, the screenplay tells you what the story's about. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, there, you know, there is a certain alchemy that, that I think if you're blocked, to sit down and to, to just say, there's, there's magic that's going to happen here if I just do it. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's the last thing I'll say about writer's block. A couple years ago, I came up with the analogy, if you're a sculptor, right, and you, your medium is marble, I sculpt marble, mm-hmm. you have your assistants or maybe you go down to the quarry or maybe you go to the, the marble shop and you get chunks of marble your, your local marble, marble shop <laughs> you, go, you, you drive the station wagon to the local marble depot <laughs> and you pick out chunk of marble that you want to you want to sculpt right and so you've chosen the material for me as a writer i have to make the marble i literally mm conceptualize my writing process like this and i've said this to a couple people i i there's it does not exist the 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 rock that i carve from does not exist until i create it and so when i sit down and write those 50 to 70 pages i'm creating the chunk of marble that i will then go chisel out and polish into my story and i think interesting analogy yeah and i and i think that that's what we do as writers so to say there's writer's block i think means you didn't create a robust chunk of marble enough for yourself yet. You don't Your raw have materials enough. aren't there yet. Yeah, you don't have right. enough to pair away from and be like, I have everything I need to then just go in and then like shape it. 
I read this thing recently. You know that, that Michelangelo thing where they says, you know, yeah. how, somebody says, how did you make David? He goes, well, I just, I took every, every, all the marble out of this area that wasn't David. Yeah. Right? And so <laughs> I don't know what I was reading. And the writer said something like, you know, he just said that to this guy who asked him how he did it just to get rid of him. <laughs> it's not that profound. It's like, yeah, it's a hunk of marble and everything that doesn't isn't David. I just take away. So get out Italian. of my face. So Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And we like eons later are like, oh, it's so profound yeah. and deep. This is such like, this is a master thinking and yeah. relaying like advice. <laughs> um, those were all of the questions that I had. Wow. Well, I guess wow. we can start the barbecue, right? I guess who, who so. brought the beers? Be jealous, everyone. <laughs> There's no barbecue happening Post St. Paddy's Day barbecue, angels. Post St. Paddy's Day, we've got green brisket and green beer. Mm-hmm. No, we have none of that. Um, well, I have a couple more questions. Sure. When you go out into the world yeah. and you've got six or seven projects that you have in your back pocket to say, yeah. hey, you know, you have a need and I have a project. Does this project fit your need? What's your process? Is it like casual? Do you suss out their need first or do you kind of like wait and feel it out and be like, oh, well, I have something that might fit that need. What's your pitching process like as informal as it sounds like it might might be? Yeah, well, for me, I, you know, I don't, I don't go into studios that much. It's usually pitching to other producers. Sure. And an old friend of mine I met uh, several weeks ago um, said he had a deal. He had made a faith-based movie for a studio. And uh, they were looking for more, and they were they were interested in doing like three to five million dollar features. I was like, wow, that's pretty good for the level that I'm at. That's like a good price point for me. So I actively am now looking for faith based movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's a t- it's a tricky thing because we've tested a lot of faith 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 based movies, and there are the ones that are very extreme that mm-hmm. play on the Christian channels that are a bit all about Jesus and being yeah. saved and all that stuff. But they're the ones that are just people who have faith, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's basically a story where somebody's faith carries them through some, you know, ordeal in their life, and they come out the other side because they believed, mm-hmm. you know? And interestingly, the less you push on that, the better. People don't like a message. People don't like the messages. Yeah. Yeah, like that. Um, but we do like to watch a character have a belief and go through something. Mm-hmm. Like you Rudy. Know. What's that? Like Rudy. The football player? No yeah, shame. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Faith in self. Yeah. You remember that movie? Of course, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I forget the lead actor. I was just, I was like... Sean, Sean Astin. Yeah. Sean Astin, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So you'll, you'll hear from friends, network, people yeah. you networked with, and right. you're like, oh, okay, you've got that. Let me see if I can find that. Right. And then say you find say you find three projects, so you feel confident mm-hmm. you can go back to that person and say, hey, I got three things. Yeah. You'll just say, hey, so this one is, and then you'll just log line it, soft pitch, see how they respond, basically? Depends on what, you know, what stages the thing is at. So maybe a writer has this script already written. Okay. Maybe it's just, maybe it's a magazine article somebody owns, maybe, you know. Yeah. And, um, and so it happens in all kinds of different ways. So in terms of pitching it to that guy, my friend who, you know, has this deal... Um, it's very casual. Mm, Um, That's good. And it's very, it probably wouldn't even be, he he actually lives in Chicago right now, so it's not a uh, situation where we get together and I'd sit at a table and pitch him the whole movie. It basically Mm -hmm. is like, here's an idea about Mm -hmm. this movie, about this guy that happened in 1942. It's a real story about this guy that had the feminine. And give him three or four or five sentences about it. 
and just see if there's interest, you know? And that's all you can do, really. And it's all, here, the other thing is, too, <clears throat> I'm going I'm to kind of take the opposite tack because I, I don't want writers to think, oh, God, I'm screwed listening to me, right? Oh, good. <laughs> um, is that, you know, you can pitch something and it falls flat, but it doesn't mean it's bad. It means that, that those filmmakers are not looking for that. Or, and like in my instance, with this guy I'm telling you about, you know, I'm not looking to make a $70 million movie. I'm just not. Yeah. You know, so. So keep pitching. Yeah. Keep making your stories. Right. Keep Keep pitching. And I have a production company that I I pitched red letters to. I pitched stuff that I've I've written to. And they've Mm -hmm. said, they've always said no, but they've always gotten back to me. And I know that eventually we're going to find something that we're going to work on together. Yeah. It's just the. Well, you had that experience with me, right? Yeah, I have that. And we have the same relationship. But there's a thing about. Like leaving it with grace and knowing that the person said no, accept the no, move on. Right. Find something else. Right. Yeah. No, not with, it's it's not like a hard no, usually, sometimes. It's, it's not a no uh, to you. Not not this one. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. This isn't for me. Right. You know, and and you were gracious enough to say to this writer, what else do you have? Which doesn't always happen. Right. But a no doesn't mean the door is closed for other different stuff in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm forgetting what the original idea pitched to me was, but when I wrote the agent back, I said, this guy has really good ideas. His name is Nick. I said, Nick has great ideas. What else does he have, right? Mm-hmm. Because the, the original idea was a good idea. It's just mm-hmm. not something I was interested in doing, yeah. or could, nor could I do at the moment. Yeah. So um, the other side of it is that I, it doesn't hurt to ask why somebody doesn't like something, you know, or, and really get specific about yes. it. Yes. Oh, what are wow. you looking for? Like you're looking for limited location, right. single character. Right. Like if you have that script probably going to be a yes and you can shop it around underneath the terms that you defined yeah yeah so we got premise right is one of mm-hmm. the key things for you yeah um uh the right the right partnership more or less you know is this story right for me as a producer you know right the writer finding the right producer for their project mm-hmm. um and then asking for feedback which is you know where you get your bread and butter like your audience testing which is basically right. ah, if it, you know what about the story didn't work for you or like you know what feedback you're, can you give me is, is something you're saying is okay to ask, right? Yes. The other thing is, you know, this, the, the guy who wrote Save the Cat, is Blake. Blake Snyder. Snyder. Yeah. Um, you know, he recommends that you, you, take, you find 10 strangers. Yeah. And you pitch them their, your movie. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you pitch it to your brother. Oh, that's a cool idea, Steve. No, you know, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But you, you, you grab a stranger in Starbucks and you say, he basically says, go to the coffee shop and say, could you listen to, I'm going to have this movie idea. Can you listen to it for five minutes? And you give them the elevator pitch mm-hmm. and like you see how they respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you make note of it. This yeah. guy who was, and by the way, I'll put this on it. This guy who was, look, ask his age. He's 47 years old. He's a male. He lives mm-hmm. in Southern California. It's like suddenly you got a picture of who might like this movie if he does. So now you're approaching other people. But then you go back to the guy who's 47, 50, and you go, wow, that guy liked it too. Make them onto something. Mm-hmm. So that you, so you're idea testing at that point. Yeah. So it's idea testing, script testing, finished movie testing. I did right. this you got to test. I did this the other day at the Academy Museum. I went to go see the Godfather exhibit that's, that's there, or was there until yesterday. How was that? Amazing. It blew mm. my mind. I took a picture of everything because I'm writing this TV mafia series that takes place in the 1930s. But I approached the um, the docent and I was like, do you have any Marcello Mastriani 
uh, stuff from my Italian thing. She's like, no, but I was like, well, you know, I used to work at National Geographic in the archives. Can I talk to your archivist? Anyway, I pitched her with my Italian film and she was my audience. She loved it. She's right. like, I can't wait for that to come out. How old? She was mid 40s, okay. um, African American, and probably well educated if she's a docent at the academy. Yeah. Yeah. So, idea testing, script testing, movie testing. Like, you got to get feedback. That's, that's yep. like the big takeaways, right? Yep. And, you mm-hmm. know, to the artours out there who would be like, no, this it's my vision, it's my self expression. Mm-hmm. We're we're not like writing and making these things for ourselves. Like movie screens aren't gigantic because one person needs a gigantic room to watch your film in. Right. <laughs> right. Like there's like it's a gathering. It's a, historically, it's like let's show these to yeah. a massive audience. Right. Yeah. Innate in our art form, mm-hmm. in movie making and in television making, it's a two part equation: creators and consumers. Mm-hmm. And the consumers sit there and consume it. So. The other thing about it you is have too, to. you have uh, to think about the audience, you have to one, test, you have to like take the feedback. Right. And when these young filmmakers get snarky, I'll say something like, um, I, obviously you have some thematic concern you're trying to convey here in this movie. And not that you're trying to teach lessons, but there's a theme here that you want to get across to yes. people. And they say, inevitably they say yes. And they say, well, don't you want as many people as possible to see that? Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's... This is the Jedi mind trick you pull on filmmakers. (laughs) (laughs) These are not the audience members you're not showing your film to. Right. (laughs) God. Do you guys know that I want to just triggered my memory something we said earlier um, about premise and Shakespeare in Love. Great premise, right? Um, So you know that everybody thinks Tom Stoppard wrote that movie, and he did. But there was an original guy who wrote that movie whose name I don't remember, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry I don't remember, but oh, he no. didn't do that much else. He's going to look it up while we're doing okay. this. And so I'm um, just saying this to young writers. So when you see um, such and such a name, and, and it says, then under it says, and Tom Stoppard, A-N-D, Tom Stoppard, yes. that means Tom Stoppard has rewritten the first guy. Yes. When it's an ampersand, that means that they are co-writers. Yeah. So that guy came in with a version of Shakespeare in Love, but, and I don't know, I'm, I can't tell you the particulars of what he included and what he didn't and what Stopper did, but I hazard a guess that Stopper really infused that thing with what it, it became. And so um, you can have a good idea and maybe you're not the writer for it. Very true, because John Zalzerni said he's an idea man, but he needs somebody else to like come in and make those ideas and execute those ideas into a script. So this is, right. this is very true. Mark Norman. Mark Norman. Does that sound right? <clears throat> yeah. And now, but he didn't do much else, right? I don't know. I'm just, uh, I can look him up. Because people around town know that if it's an and, yeah. that he really didn't. So it's an Academy Award winning screen. I'm, 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 I'm making that up, I think. I don't know if it's Academy Award winning screen. I don't remember. But it certainly won a lot of accolades. Yeah. And um, he had the idea mm-hmm. and he brought it to, oh God, Miramax Films. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, actually, Max Films is alive and well and thriving. It's yes. run by Bill Block, great guy. Yes. Has nothing to do with the Weinsteins because yes. they sold it many, many years ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been a really educational chat for me. Truly. Oh, thanks. This has been really Thank enjoyable. You. I'm so excited about the testing process. Yes. Good. I'm so excited about Good it. Good that you're excited now because yeah. when you get in there... It gets brutal. It gets brutal. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for for the best reason. Like, to get as many people yeah. to see your audience, mm-hmm. to, to see your movie... 
mm-hmm. to enjoy it as possible, which is the ultimate goal. Yes. For me as a filmmaker, at least for me, singularly. Right. It's like, yes, I did the thing. I wrote it. I directed it. Great. Yes. That satisfaction is done. Now, hopefully, an audience can find reward in it. Yeah. What's a movie without an audience? Yeah. Nothing. Just light. Just light and light. sound. Light and sound. You know, I did... Um, we did a test of our movie It Crawls Beneath when you mentioned before. Yeah. And it was early stages, rough stages. And um, and so the audience didn't like it that much. Mm. And I, I, and in this particular circumstance, usually we do 20 people, but it was an audience of 48 people. And so I did the focus group. I was like, just leave everybody in the audience. I'm going to talk to the entire audience. And, um, and so here I am doing a focus group on my own movie. Hmm. And uh, did they know it was your own movie? No, okay, okay, and um, no, because if I had said that, they might have been more gentle than they were, yeah. Yeah. But I found myself like you know, somebody would say something negative, and I'd go, I found myself hesitating and not doing what I usually do in a focus group, say, That's good information, what about you? You know, like really keep it moving. And I kind of would get for five seconds, I'd get a little like, Wait a minute, (laughs) you know, so I mean. I really sympathize with filmmakers, and I know that it's a tough process, but it's so rewarding. It's a great process. If people wanted to either get into your script testing program, is that something people could do? Or Yeah, it's quite expensive. Okay. Um, is there a website you can direct us to? What's that? Is there a website or contact information? Well, it's Screen Engine ASI, and there's a website there. Okay. Um, I'm on that website, Stephen Horniak. You can contact me through that website. Um, and um, yeah, it's a it. You'd have to be that wealthy kid from Dubai who writes screenplays to you know, because most writers cannot afford to do it's, okay, so what that, this is. It's a studio yeah. product essentially, yes. right? Okay, all right. And so it's large. It's quite it's quite expensive. To so all the princes and princesses out there who have some money, yeah, come who come are writers, reach out to us because we have scripts <laughs> that we need tested. Yeah. But we can, you know, we could kind of because uh, I know kind of the process that I've heard about and what what you're doing sounds doesn't sound dissimilar. Mm-hmm. So you, we could like do our own. We could do our own. Script testing process. Uh huh. How would you do it? Um, well, we have a robust network of actors, and we already, for the premium portion of this podcast, we record the first three pages of screenplays with a narrator, as like it's of a radio play. Mm-hmm. For this podcast. For this podcast, okay. yeah, we have a premium portion where we get writers okay. three minute elevator pitches. Oh wow! Okay. And they give us their first three pages. Right. And then we get a group of actors together and a narrator, and we record them like a radio play. Wow. And then we distribute that to producers, to buyers, and right. be like, hey, if you like this pitch, mm-hmm. listen to the script, listen to the first three pages, get in touch with the writer. I would just say, let's just do a full full reading. Let's just read a, read your script, mm-hmm. you know? And then we could package that and then give that to people and ask for feedback. Well, I already have a lot of those table reads that we did during the height of the pandemic recorded. Yeah, you and you do, know what? Yeah. At offline, uh, we'll talk about specific questions to ask because oh, cool. oh great because you don't want to just say what did you think of this movie. You'll yes. get all kinds of crazy answers. But if you can regiment <laughs> it in a way where you have ten questions that are answerable mm-hmm. by an audience, then you can go. You can look at those hundred people you've or I don't know what on a podcast it could be thousands, right? Yeah. And the, question number five is we hate you know did you like the ending? No, we didn't. And if that's really trending in a hundred or a thousand people. Then you know you got a shitty ending. You know what? I know we're wrapping this up, but I think it would be important to have 10 questions from you that writers should ask when they send out their script to be read. 
or however many questions. We don't have to do this on the spot. We can come up with later and we can, yeah. we can I can do I can't do it off the top of my head. Okay. I'd, like, I'd like to think about it yeah. a bit. But yeah, yes, yeah. You, yeah. yes. It's we something we can Okay. You can put in the notes below the thing or something, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, well again, this has been really fantastic, man. I, it's Thank great you. to see you. After uh, so it's long it's see, it's so painless. Yeah. yeah. It's over already. It's pretty easy, you know. Well, Angel is charming, so. Well, and Leah's charming and she's got that that lovely Irish hair. <laughs> <laughs> I do. If you could see it, if only you could see it. Oh, people. man. Look I at know. pictures online. Hair, hair, hair for the movies, really. Thanks. Well, um, thank you for coming. Yeah, oh, thanks, man. My pleasure. Great. Yeah. And then we'll connect more. Um, and then we'll include the 10 questions screenwriters should include when they're mm-hmm. sending out their materials to get some really yeah. like helpful feedback to structure it in a way that's easy. Right. To make the people who are already like taking and Maybe it's not 10 game. questions. For development execs, it's three or five, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. so it's not... Because when you're doing a lot of testing, they're, they're, they're volunteering to do it, whereas, you know... You, it, yeah, we'll, we'll do a few questions. We'll, yeah. we'll have a supplementary thing. Yeah. And, um, and then I'd love to talk more with you, you know, later on in the season or next season, you know, okay, come sure. talk about different things. But what does yeah. that pay? Fantastic. I'm sorry, what was that? What does that pay? We, and we're out. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us from Hollywood. My name is Angel. <laughs> I'm Leah St. Marie. <laughs> and we've had Stephen Horniak on. You've been fantastic. Thanks, guys. So cheers from Hollywood. Thank cheers you. Cheers from Hollywood. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers raising voices one story at a time.